0: pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to say thank you once again uh, for your blessings upon us, for allowing us to assemble here together. And Lord, we ask that our time would be beneficial to our relationship with you, that you would teach us tonight from your word and strengthen us and encourage us in just simply being obedient to your word and to your goodness and to your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated close attention to those words you just sung um, that is amazing hyperbole and, and just beautiful but, but it is not really an exaggeration now is it because if, if, if we could do that it still we would never ever uh, f- uh, fill the uh, fully describe the love of God now, what I would like for us to do tonight is we're going to start kind of, um, uh, not kind of, we're going to start a new series on our Thursday night Bible studies of the covenants of God as they're found in the Scripture. Now, a covenant is just simply a binding agreement between two parties. There's, I'll tell you, as, as, as I look this up in some... Bible encyclopedias and different things. Boy, I'll tell you what, I found all kinds of great big long fancy words trying to describe covenants between equal parties and covenants between unequal parties. And uh, is that really important? Uh, If God is entering into a covenant, it's a covenant of unequal parties because He is the supreme being. Amen? It's just simply simple when we get scholarship out of the way and yet god wants to teach us there are there are many covenants Uh, i believe it's over 280 times in your king james bible the word covenant or covenants uh, is found three times is used and what we like to do, as well as teach the Scripture, is, is give you some simple rules for understanding the Scripture on your own as well. And one of the, the basic rules of Bible study is what we have called, the what has come to be called the Law of First Mention. If you want to understand something in the Bible, start where God starts. And look at how God starts it. And in Sunday school, we just actually finished Noah's flood, uh, uh, two weeks ago. And, uh, of course, Brother Gaddis was with us. And so I want you to turn back to Genesis chapter six, because it is, uh, if, if you want the scholarly term, the Noah covenant, uh, God's covenant, and it actually did not belong to Noah, nor was it limited. To Noah, as we will find it, it's actually God's covenant with Noah and every living thing on Earth. Now, some of God's covenants are condition. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but let's just look here, uh, Genesis chapter six and verse eighteen. This is the first mention. God is speaking here to Noah. He said, but with thee will I establish my covenant. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy son's wife with thee. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female, of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind. Two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. And take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Verse 22, Thus did... Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. So, we take this word and it means the same thing in, in uh, the, the Hebrew word. is uh, uh, I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but it just simply means a binding agreement. And so, what we have here is God entering into an agreement with Noah. He comes and he tells Noah. And why did God pick Noah? Well, let's go back to the beginning of chapter 6 and get the context of this. And and, uh, we will find out uh, exactly what Noah did, uh, what was responsible for God choosing him. And... uh, There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man, whom I created on the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repented me, repenteth me that I have made them. Verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Now, here's the reason why Noah was chosen. He was perfect, the Bible says, in his generations, meaning that he followed God his entire life and that his sons followed God after him. We have here... Uh, an established pattern that ought to be followed today. Uh, I like the way one preacher put it, and it described my household uh, when I was growing up, and my, my household as a father said, I had a drug problem as a child. It said, my parents drugged me to church every Sunday morning, every Wednesday night. Uh, there was no choice, there was no opportunity, uh, there was no debate about this, uh, that just happened. And you know something? That's a good drug problem to have now, isn't it? And, and that is a, something that was established. That's what Noah did now. Noah didn't go to church. Because that hadn't been established yet. But Noah walked with God. And his sons walked with God. And a lot of times people say, well, you can't force children to do things. No, you cannot. But let me tell you what you can do. If you will love something, your children will love what you love, it's a natural process. And Noah loved God enough that his children, his three sons, followed him and God chose him. And and we'll just make a comment here since the first few verses of Genesis chapter 6 are uh, subject to some of the most, um, how shall we say it, uh, 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 fantastic interpretations that... uh, uh, are in the Bible and I will tell you when I was young I read one of those books and oh the sons of God were angels and the daughters of men and there were half angels and half men and they're sitting there going oh wow uh, Could could we just make the Bible simple the simplest understanding is that The sons of God has been used talking about angels in the Bible. It's also been used talking about uh, men who have put themselves in positions of leadership as a, quote, little g, little o, little d. And that these men who were in leadership positions began to marry not one and two, but many wives... And they began to corrupt mankind completely and totally from what God had originally designed. There were men in the Bible that that followed God that had more than one wife at the same time, practiced polygamy, but we never ever find God endorsing that. In fact, God made the command when he set up the standards for a pastor uh, of a New Testament church that he was to be the husband of one wife. Now, we have some that run around saying, well, that's one at a time. Uh, Excuse me, how does that reflect God's plan for mankind? How, How does that show... God's love for His church. It's not just one church at a time. Uh, Churches are not God's celestial harem. Uh, We understand that each church is a representation, is a complete living picture of the one church that will be assembled in heaven uh, one time. But, We're not all part of that church yet because some of us are here on earth, some of us are in heaven. And depending on when the Lord has planned His return, some may not even have been born yet. And so we're waiting for that day. But what happened simply here was a corruption of every part. And how you got notoriety in the earth was to do wickedness. I'll tell you what, even as bad as it is today, other than our presidential candidates, we don't reward people for doing wicked things. Amen? Uh, The simple truth of the matter is, we still have some moral. Laws, and one of the problems this one of the reasons this political season is so contentious is because of the extremely low moral character of our candidates. Uh, that's just not something that we exalt even yet. But could you imagine a society where the best people were the worst? The giants were the ones who could do the most sin. Men of renown. Everything was evil continually until God said, I'm going to start over again. But God found Noah. God chose Noah because Noah was already doing what God said. You see, you have to understand this thing of a covenant. God doesn't just arbitrarily say well, I like you and I don't like the rest of you. God's choices are always based on the decisions He knows that we will make. We say God's predestination is based upon His foreknowledge. God has never forced a soul to go to hell Neither will he force a soul to go to heaven. Yet, as we see with Pharaoh of old, which was yet future here in the days of Noah, that if you want to rebel against God, God will help you. He'll give you opportunity. And yet, if you want to follow God, God will use you. But faith always requires behavior. Amen. Faith without obedience is not faith. If you want the proper word, it's sophistry. It's talking about meaningless things. Uh, Faith must have works. Somebody said, well, but you're not saved by works. Exactly. But if you have faith that is real, it works. You know, I am I am so glad. Uh, I was thinking about that. I drove past the garage at Cleveland Baptist Church, a place where I had spent so many, many hours uh, fixing church buses. I was the mechanic there for a year. And uh, I don't know very many people here. It's old enough to remember our big old box van. But we built that van in the Cleveland Baptist uh, bus garage and and uh, later on, uh, when we, uh, my wife and I were married, we had a motor home, a 1957 Greyhound bus. And uh, remanufactured the motor in the garage at Cleveland Baptist Church. And all those memories are coming back. And you know what my favorite one is? This trip, all I did was put gas in the van. I didn't have to worry about anything mechanical at all. Uh, we just drove. That I like that. The old days, it wasn't quite that way. Uh, anytime we went in that old bus, my wife will remember this. It was uh, uh, it had two million miles on it when my father-in-law gave it to us. And uh, we, we put a lot of miles on it. I think it's still on the road. I was Googling the, the bus model, and I saw one, and it said, A newly rebuilt bus. And they had pictures. I think it was the one I built. I emailed the guy, but he never returned my emails. Um, but the, uh, the, the simple thing is, faith has some requirements. A covenant is an agreement. It's a binding agreement between two parties. That's the simplest and most complete definition of the word and so God comes and he finds Noah he chooses Noah because Noah was already doing what God wanted him to do God had already given the established pattern he had already given revelation he had given that revelation to Adam and Eve as they were expelled from the garden of Eden and everything he told them still held The same rules that Cain and Abel, Cain obeyed, Abel disobeyed. Those were still in effect. And and that was how you approach God, through the blood of the innocent animals. And now God comes and He says, Noah, I'm going to establish my covenant with you. You have to build an ark. you got 120 years. Get building He says, you're going to have to get the animals. You're going to have to put them in. You're going to have to get the food. You know, God did not give Noah a calculation of how much food he was going to need. Noah had to do some work. He had to do what God said. And so, God had promised him, I'm going to bring a flood. I'm going to destroy every living thing on earth except that which is in the ark. Now, you're going to build the ark. You're going to put the animals in the ark. You're going to put the food in the ark. You're going to do everything exactly the way I said. And I promise you, you're going to survive this flood. You're going to be the only things that breathe air that make it through this time. And I love chapter 8 and verse 1. And God remembered Noah. How long had he been in the ark at this point? 150 days, almost 6 months. What was Noah doing all that time? We went over this in Sunday school. He's feeding the animals. He's taking care of things. They had work to do. Noah had to not lose his sanity. How do you do that? Well, you believe in God. Amen? You just keep doing what God says when everybody else around you stops. And Noah just simply did that. And we come down through here. And God sends him out of the ark. And we get to chapter 9. And it says, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. And and, uh, I want you to get down here to um, verse 8. And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. Now, let me ask you a question. Does this covenant pertain to you and I today? Absolutely. Because all living people on the earth today are descendants of Noah and his family. And so God said, I'm establishing a covenant with you. This is what we would call the scope of the covenant. The involved parties here. God is saying, I'm establishing the covenant with you, your seed. Now look at verse 10. And with every living creature that is within you, with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth, and I will establish my covenant with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off anymore by the waters of a flood, Neither shall there be any more, neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. So God is making a promise here. He said, I'm establishing a covenant. I am binding myself to you that all flesh shall never be destroyed again by a flood of waters. You see, that's one of the reasons, and I know that we've talked about this a little tongue-in-cheek with a little sarcasm, but uh, anybody that believes in global warming deserves a little sarcasm. I'm sorry. Uh, they, they just do. Uh, you see, here's the basic scenario of global warming. The polar ice caps are going to melt and all the world's going to perish with a terrible flood and storms, etc., etc. God already took care of this. He knew there would be stupid people who live in our day and our time, and all we have to do is read our Bible and understand that they're not as smart as they think they are. Amen? God said, I establish my covenant not only with you, but with your seed after you, and with every living thing, that the world will not be destroyed again by a flood of waters. I may remember a couple of years ago, they had rain for 40 days in a row in Seattle, Washington. You remember that? And they talk about no egg flood. No, that wasn't quite the deal. In fact, I don't know any buildings in Seattle that were washed away with the 40 days of rain. Uh, there may have been a few hills that moved down a little bit and things like that, uh, uh, landslides. But nothing catastrophic. Uh, you read... Genesis chapter 6 and 7, there were some incredibly catastrophic things that happened. We don't have time to to chase all that down. But God said that He would preserve everything that was on the ark alive. They get out of the ark. They're standing on the earth. They've offered sacrifices and worship to God according to the set pattern that had been established uh, between God and Adam and Eve at the Garden of Eden. As they were expelled from that, Noah just followed that pattern. And God comes down and says, listen, I am establishing a covenant. And I'm going to do more than establish a covenant with you. In verse 12, he says, this is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud. And it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud. And I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, this is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. Now, how many times did we read the word covenant in the last few verses? I mean, over and over and over again. God's trying to teach us a few things. He said, I made this promise to you. This is an everlasting covenant it's between me and the earth. And this is what I am going to do. I um, can't remember when it was. It was last, just before we left for um, Cleveland. So it would have had to been last week, Saturday or Friday afternoon or something. Uh, walked up Thirty First Avenue for something. Looked up and there was a beautiful double rainbow right over top of Thirty First Avenue. Oh, you see, God's still keeping His covenant. When God says something, He does it. And so, what what we simply see, and I and I know this, this if you study your Bible, if you read your Bible. Nothing that I said is a shock to you. You're saying, Pastor, you're going over things that we already know. Yes? Well, that's what the Bible tells us to do, does it not? It says that we're supposed to be put in remembrance of these things. Now, there were a few other things that God did connect to this. And we'll find them in the early verses of, uh, of Genesis chapter 9. God said, I'm going to give you meat to eat as the fruit, as the vegetation, Uh, I'm going to give you meat to eat. And then he says, but you're not allowed to eat the blood. The blood must be poured out on the ground. It's part of the sacrificial system. God says, the blood belongs to me, but I want you to eat the meat. And then he says, if a man commits murder. Now. We always have to clarify this thing because of all of the misinformation that is in our society today. If you are a soldier in an army fighting in a battle and you kill the enemy, have you committed murder? No. If you fulfill the biblical requirement of capital punishment and take away the life of the murderer, have you committed murder? No. And yet, you hear all of this stuff. We have soldiers that simply fill our psychiatric wards and things because they've been called murderers. You need to pray for those people that serve. Every time a police officer shoots somebody, you got somebody out there calling them a murderer. That's not true. The... Murder is the willful taking of a human life by another human being that simply does not fall into the category of fighting a war and these other things. It's the arbitrary taking of a human life. It's you putting yourself in the place of God See, what God is doing here is He's establishing the covenant of life with mankind. He is establishing Himself as the giver and the perpetrator of life. Do you see that? He told Noah, He said, You're going to live because you've been obedient to My Word. You're going to build the ark. You're going to survive. I'm giving you a covenant of life. When you break my covenant of life, mankind now has the responsibility to take the life of the murderer because you as a man do not have the right to sit upon the throne of God and make judgments over who lives and who dies. Are we together with that? It does require a little bit of thought process, but it's not complicated not near as complicated as our governor would have it to be, who, who tries to uh, refute the idea of capital punishment. Because you have to get convoluted and perverse in your thinking to go where he goes. And um, so God takes these things. He said we're supposed to be fruitful. We're supposed to multiply. Isn't it interesting? Just in a, a little rabbit here maybe we should chase. That the people who hate capital punishment are the same people who believe in abortion and birth control. Do you want me to tell you what the connection is? You see, when you break God's covenant of life, you can't pick and choose which parts you're going to break. You're going to break the whole thing. There's a natural connection that God made here. He said, listen... I'm giving you the covenant of life. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to live on the earth. That's what life is about. Amen? And he said, if you choose to take another person's life, you should forfeit your life. It's the responsibility of mankind to maintain itself so that mankind never goes back to the same place that it did in the beginning Of Genesis chapter 6. Amen? Inviting God's judgment and destruction upon mankind as a whole. And God says, I'm going to keep my part of the covenant. There's going to be a bow in the sky. He said, you've got meat to eat. Because uh, things had changed in the earth and we won't go through all of that. Uh, There was the institution of human government. And God gave them to be uh, uh, the command to be fruitful and multiply. Now let's just take a few things and try to wrap this first covenant up. As we will be going through the covenants found in Scripture, and, and we're going to we're going to restrict our study to covenants that are so named in Scripture. Uh, you, you read after some people, and every time God says something, God made another covenant. Well, no, there are specific things that God calls a covenant. Here's one. Now, let's get the picture here. Who's the originator of the covenant? Does Noah go to God and negotiate an agreement with God? Absolutely not. There's no negotiation at all. God is the originator. God comes and he finds Noah. He chooses Noah, not because Noah is someone special, but because Noah... Is following God. He's already doing, he's being obedient to what God has revealed to him. When you're obedient to the knowledge that God has given you, God will give you more. When you don't obey what you know, God's not going to give you any more. This is the main reason for confusion in the lives of Christians. And it's established right here in Noah's covenant. Noah was doing what God said, and when God gave him more things to do, Noah just did it. And the author of Hebrews put it this way, by faith, Noah built an ark. Amen? God told him how to build it. He told him what to do to waterproof it. He gave him the dimensions of the ark. You see, a covenant... Demands faith. God is the originator of the covenant. God sets the scope of the covenant. God sets the, the conditions of the covenant. And God demands faith upon the part of those who will be a part of that covenant to obey what God has said. Now, Is that new truth to anybody here tonight? Somebody said, wow, I never thought about that before. No, if you've been around the Bible at all, everything I've said is very plain, very simple. You say, I know everything you're saying. That's good. You see, we're not looking for something new. We're just trying to establish... The parameters of what is called a covenant because there's an awful lot out there in the world. You hear this word covenant and there's an awful lot that is not connected to your Bible at all. There's a thing called covenant theology out there. Has nothing to do with the Bible whatsoever other than they plug Bible words in it. It's all human reasoning. Stay away from it. Uh, You'll have people, if you turn on the Christian radio or television and the guy starts talking about covenant this and covenant that and covenant, you better know that you've got a fruitcake on your hand. And, And turn that thing off, get back to your Bible. You see, the parallels in this covenant hold perfectly, completely true with the promise of God in salvation. You see, who originated the work of salvation? God did. Who set the standards? God did. Who set the parameters? God did. What does He expect from you and I if we will be saved? Faith. You see, the Bible says, For by grace are ye saved Faith. What's grace? Grace is God setting the parameters of the promise of salvation. Amen? God doing all the work through Jesus Christ. That's why it says it is finished up here. That was what Jesus said on the cross. Everything that needed to be done, all God asked for us is faith. Now, how should my faith be expressed in salvation? Well, actually, you're expressing faith in being here tonight in church because that's what the Bible tells us to do as believers in Jesus Christ. Amen? We, we hope to be able to baptize uh, at, at least one, if not two people on Sunday morning. You pray about that, please. Uh, you know why people get baptized? Because of faith. It's just simply what the Bible says. And so we see a perfect picture here. In fact, if we go into our New Testament, it tells us that the ark is a physical, living illustration of Jesus Christ. You enter into the ark by faith and you're safe from the judgment of God. That's how Jesus saves you. It's that simple. And yet God made this promise, and I want you to understand this, It took a lot of sweat and a lot of effort to build the ark. It took a tremendous amount of work to gather enough food to feed all of those animals and Noah and his family for an entire year. Um, a while back, they had something on TV where they would take these families and put them in the wilderness and and, and tell them, you got to chop wood and you got to plant corn and wheat and... And every one of them would have died in the real wilderness. Not enough wood to get through the winter, not enough food uh, to make it till spring. I'm sure glad our, well, not my forefathers, they came over in 1905, but uh, uh, these pioneers endured that kind of hardness. I'll tell you what, that... They understood what needed to be done and they did it. And that's how they lived. And if they didn't, they died. And let me tell you, a lot of people died on that westward trips. A lot of people died their first winter. Even the pilgrims study that story. Half of them died before spring came. Because they were not prepared. Well, Jesus said it this way. Broad is the way and wide wide is the gate and broad is the way which leadeth unto destruction, many be that go in thereat. said straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life. How do you make the choice? faith? God made an everlasting covenant. The world is never going to be destroyed by a universal flood again well we've had some terrible floods let me tell you but it's never come anywhere even with an honorable mention in comparison to Noah's flood because God has kept his covenant not only with Noah but with all life forms on the earth And no matter where you go, when it rains, if you're in the right place at the right angle, all of those things, you can see the rainbow. Because God put a token there to remind us. And it's just that simple. We're going to find many covenants in the Bible. We're going to find a covenant with Abraham, a covenant with Phinehas, actually, one of the sons of Aaron. And we'll chase that covenant all the way through the Scriptures. But the pattern is established right here. And every covenant that we find in the Scriptures is going to follow this pattern. God originates it. He sets the scope, the diameter, the the, the perimeters, actually, the, the, uh, the people to whom are involved in that covenant. And every covenant demands faith. But God never establishes a covenant to get faith. He always establishes a covenant with someone who's already faithful. Amen? And so, what we need to do is make sure that we're simply being faithful today to what God has revealed to us in His Word and all God's people said. Heavenly Father, we thank You for our time together tonight. And Lord, I pray that even though this material is stuff that we all know, I mean, if, if we're familiar with the Bible at all, my Lord, that we would take heart and we would ask for grace that we may continue to be faithful to Your revealed Word and that we would stop allowing the gainsaying and the, uh, the mockery and the, all of the things that the world wants to offer to us. That, Lord, we could simply just ignore them and keep our faith and our focus upon You and Your Word. We ask You to work Lord, that we may be your servants in these last days. Lord, we do thank you that your word tells us that the rainbow is more than just a meteorological phenomena. It's a promise. It's a visible token of your promise to us. Lord, we thank you for it. Before we finish that prayer, we'll have the piano play. If you need to slip out and spend a few moments at the altar, the altar is open.